a letter written from Paul to Timothy, who's coming to be the pastor of the Ephesus church. And as he's the pastor of the Ephesus church, he's going to be dealing with some difficult situations. And so Paul comes and tells him to remain firm, stand firm, because you're going to be dealing with hard things, and not hard things just outside of the church, but hard things within the church. And so as he begins to tell him these things, uh, he tells him, now go back and remember the gospel message. Understand that the gospel is what drives you to the law when the law is good when used lawfully according to the gospel. And so this is where we now start to find ourselves as he begins to turn because what Paul's going to start to do is give a little bit of his background because what he's saying is, I'm exhibit A about the gospel and how it changes people. And so I, I want you to kind of think about this. Who do you think that you have met that was an unlikely person to ever come to faith in Jesus Christ? And why would you think that? Who are those that you think are so far out there that you think, no way God would ever choose them? Now, would you be willing to point the fingers back to you? <laughs> See, the Scripture's full of people that we can look to and go, this is an unlikely conversion. Would you have ever thought that the demon-possessed man that Jesus encountered would be the one who would go out into Samaria and go and tell so many people? Remember, he asked after he was healed, hey, let me come with you and your disciples. And Jesus said, no, you got to stay here. Well, he goes out into Samaria, and he's spreading the good news that when Jesus comes back, the story of who Jesus Christ is is already told throughout the land. What about Zacchaeus, that wee little man, up in the tree, tax collector, cheated from people, stole from people, and God comes, as Jesus comes through, God comes and ministers to him, and Jesus says, I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight, Zacchaeus, so come down. He hears the gospel, and he's willing to go back. Listen to to give away four times that which he's stolen. Life-changing. What about the woman at the well that Jesus had the encounter with? She's coming at a time that she shouldn't be there. All the other women have gone in the morning, but she's not welcome with the rest of the women. And Jesus confronts her about her nature, and yet... She goes in back into the city, into a city that has judged her, and begins to tell the gospel message, come and meet the man who told me about my life. What about Mary Magdalene, who made such a spectacle that she comes into someone else's house, sits at the feet of Jesus, and is weeping so, so overwhelmingly that the drops of tears are able to wipe Jesus' feet clean. There's more like the Roman centurion, the thief on the cross. But Paul in this passage comes and he says, I am the least of sinners. Not Paul. Paul's a good guy. Except when we look at our hearts. So listen to the word of the Lord and let us hear what he wants to teach us this morning. Starting at verse 12 through verse 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. 
But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come into your presence, we ask that the Holy Spirit would move. And Lord, maybe there are people here this morning who don't know you. And so, Father, open their eyes and their hearts to see the gospel message, maybe for the first time, that they might run to you and to see that you came to save sinners, sinners like Paul and like us. Lord, also allow the Holy Spirit to come and to convict us. For Lord, there are some within here that feel like you did a good job choosing them. We find ourselves in self-righteousness. And so, Father, I pray that Jesus would get bigger, bigger in our understanding and bigger in the love that we have for him. And so, Father, please... Don't let us just walk through the motions this morning, but Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would change us, truly change us to look more like Jesus Christ as we leave today than when we came. We know you hear, we know you answer, so it's to you that we bring these requests, and we pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. This morning we're going to be looking at the passage to see how the gospel first came to Paul, then goes to all the world, but then specifically how do we respond to that gospel message. So the first point we're going to be looking at is the gospel comes to Paul. Now Paul begins with a statement saying that he is the worst of sinners. Now again, we have talked about this a little bit, that he goes through a process, and so when Paul was converted, as Mickey has read for us, and we'll go back to that, the Acts chapter 9, the calling of Paul into ministry, he comes and he comes to that knowledge, and he says, well, I'm the least of the apostles, right, at the beginning. He has his convergence, I'm the least of the apostles. Well, he lives a little bit, he lives life a little bit, he does ministry a little bit, and then he comes back and he says, well, I'm the least of the Christians, Now we find Paul at the end of his life. Remember, these are words that he's given to Timothy, who's supposed to come as the pastor. And he's giving these last words um, of his life and these charged to Timothy. And he tells him, I am the worst of sinners. Now, again, if we think just with our minds, we're saying, you got it backwards, Paul. Because now you're, you're the... One of the least of the apostles. All right, we'll give you that because, look, you've gone on missionary journeys. You've planted churches. You have done all these things. You have been beaten for the gospel. Hey, you're doing okay, Paul. Because remember, this is a time of Nero. Nero who is taking Christians and putting them on poles and lighting them as lights for his parties. Who would you rather have come to your house, Nero or Paul? So why does Paul at this point say that he is the worst of sinners? 
uh, Chuck Swindoll says this in regards to Paul's statement. He said, if the Lord came to earth looking for sinners, Paul was too big a sinner to ignore. Now, now why is that? Why was Paul called the chief of sinners? Because for Paul, in his ignorance, he says, didn't know. He thought he was doing good things. He thought he was going out and getting the right people. But yet he was going and persecuting Christ himself. And so in his self-righteousness, Paul really thought that he had figured it out. But when he comes to the gospel message, when Jesus changes his heart and changes his mind, he understands that he has to continually grow in that understanding. That's why we, we never ever out, outgrow the gospel message. It's why the Bible tells us, preach the gospel to yourself every day. We never get outside of that. And so he says, hey, look at me. I'm exhibit A. If God saved me, there is hope for you. And so as he begins to do that, he reminds us, he says, hey, remember who I was? I was a blasphemer. I went out against the way. I went out against the Christians, those who had given their life to Christ, and I was slamming them, and I was saying they were liars. And not only was I blaspheming, but I was going out and I was persecuting them. I went and got letters, and I was bringing in women. It wasn't just men. It was women. And we were taking their, their places. We were taking their businesses. We were destroying everything in their lives. So I was out persecuting. And then he said, um, the word in the, um, if you have the Bible here for the church, okay, I want you to, to mark out the words. Yes, you can write in your Bible. It's Okay. This is translated insolent opponent. I want you to mark that out because I I do believe that the word here is a violent aggressor. Paul was a violent aggressor against God's church. And so he's going out and he's trying to not only kill, but he's trying to destroy everything within the course of one generation. And so he's out there He has an encounter with Jesus. Now here's an amazing thing about this. God forgives Paul, and he forgets about his sin. Now, we have to be very careful here, because there is a sense when we repent and we confess and we go to God, he does forgive us, and he forgets our sin. It's not counted against us. Does that mean there are no such thing as consequences? There are consequences to sin. Now think about this for Paul. Paul has taken away men and women. He has killed people. So think about this very clearly. That there are people who are coming who are meeting Paul who now says he's a Christian that says, this is the man who killed my father. This is the man who destroyed our livelihood. And Paul has to look those people in the face and to ask for forgiveness and say, I, am wrong. I was wrong. I am wrong. And see, we have to begin to, to ask the questions of ourselves. That's the application, right? Who are we? Who are we? Who have we been? But who are we now? Would you be able to look at yourself and say, I am the worst of sinners? 
Now, you can look at me and go, well, of course we believe that about Pastor Jeff. He was a bad guy. He did bad sins. But it's the people sometimes that do the acceptable sins. The ones who become self-righteous are gossip. But they say it's not gossip because it's true. Are the people who come in who begin to slander. Or even think, have you ever wondered as a child of saying, I I am the best child my parents had? (laughs) Do you not see how all of us begin to, to think of ourselves as a little bit more important than we really are? See, we have to get to the point where, again, we have to see ourselves within the gospel message that, again, the more that I preach the gospel to myself, the bigger my sin becomes. But so does mercy and grace. The things that God had to forgive me for are beyond my imagination. For God to send his son to die in my place. So it's overwhelming for us. But not only does God forgive and forget the sin of Paul, but he then makes him a faithful servant. Makes him a faithful servant. See, he was changed. And if you become a Christian, you are changed. Because we begin to produce faith. We begin to produce love. Because remember, verse 5 of this passage says, what is the goal? The goal is love, not hate. So the goal is love and a love that changes us. But not only does he give Paul this love for the people, he gives him an undeserved ministry. An undeserved ministry. See, Paul's going out and he's killing people, and then God calls him and he says, now I want you to go out there and I want you to plant my church. Now it's very easy for Paul to have said, not me. God, God, do you know how many people I've killed? Do you know how many people I've ruined? And now you want me to go out there and minister to them? Not going to happen. Paul accepts the call to ministry. Now, again, there's a difference between the professional people who are called. But make no mistake, everyone who is a Christian, you are called. You are called to go out and do the ministry of the church. And I'm telling you, you are far more effective than I could ever imagine to be. Why? Why? Because every time somebody asks me, well, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a pastor. Okay? And I tell you all the time, things change. They either become, oh, I'm sorry, I've been cussing. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got this beer in my hand. I was like, well, you just didn't offer me one. That was the problem. Or they go to the other extreme. They become so blasphemous because they want to see how far they can go and make me upset. You're good, normal people. And so when you go out and talk and when you're the missionaries, God uses you far more than you think or imagine. And listen, God says there's only one way to get to Jesus, but there's a thousand ways to get to him. No, wait a minute. There's one way to get to heaven through Jesus. There's a thousand ways to get to Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. So, and I tell you this, again, I, I, we had an elder in Chattanooga 
who was in the military, and so he went to a cheap hotel. And so he wasn't hearing, but he could hear, the walls were so thin, he heard from next door a gospel presentation and accepted Jesus Christ. You never know how God is going to use you. But he calls all of us to preach the gospel. All the time, everywhere. So this is what's going on with Paul, but he's also allowed to be a part of the service. And so he becomes a servant to God's people. And again, we live in a day and age where pastors are leaving the ministry by the droves. And I can truly say, not just because it's this church, but it is an honor and a privilege to be a part of your lives. Even during the hard times. We should all consider it an honor and a privilege if someone comes and begins to share their heart with you. That's a gift never to take for granted. And so as we begin to have this privilege and this thankfulness, sometimes we do get upset, don't we? Ligon Duncan, a pastor at First Pres in, in Mississippi, said this. He says, sometimes when we get treated like a servant, like we're called to be, we get offended. So how do we keep from being offended? How do we keep from feeling like somehow these people deserve me? Paul tells us, he says he was strengthened by the Lord. He always remained dependent upon Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ worked, again, the transforming and sustaining and sufficiency of the gospel begins to change people. Because we go back to Paul, we go back to ourselves. If God saved me, there's hope for you. So that's the first point. The gospel comes to Paul. So Paul says, now because the gospel has come to me, I can be an example to all people. Now he says it in the, the verses that, again, we love. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. This is one of the best verses in all of Scripture. If you, don't mes- if you don't memorize any other Scripture, this is a good one. God came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. See, we have to understand and unpack it a little bit. So Jesus came. So there was a thing that we call, theologically, the incarnation. Jesus came in the flesh. Now, again, this is a big deal because Jesus humbles himself. How do we know that? The Scripture tells us so. Philippians, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I want you to to grasp and understand that this is the ultimate act of condescending grace and love. Think about this. You you serve a perfect God who in the Trinity needed nothing else. And I tell you quite often, the only thing that Jesus gets by coming here and emptying himself and becoming obedient and dying is he gets sinners. That's all he gets. He gets no more glory. He gets no more honor. He was perfect. He had everything before coming here. 
but he so loved us that he gave up and he came. Now, did he come? It's a historical fact. It's a thing. There is a real Jesus. And that real Jesus did come to earth. Again, one of the pastors said this, stake your life on it. Because if you don't, then your life is purposeless. Christ is the only thing that comes and makes our life purposeful. Everything else is about you. Everything with Christ is about others. And so he comes and he says through this universal example, he says it's an incarnational, historical, but it's also very purposeful why Jesus came. He came to live the life which we could never live. He came to die the death we could never die, to rise in victory over God's enemies. So we should understand the awesome magnitude of the gospel that we get to preach. This is an incredible story. And Paul says, I get to be a part of it. I get to be that example. And so he becomes an example to all. And so all, all people who come and embrace the gospel, whether by hearing and believing and responding, he says, don't despair. There is hope. Because look at me. Look at the other people around you. There is hope for you to be saved. If he saved me, he can save you. Now, that's easy to say. Now, I want you to put this into practice. What if Putin right now got saved and went into a Ukrainian church and said, I am saved? Oh, now, wait a minute. Now, this makes it real. Can Putin be saved? You better believe it. Now, how would you think those Ukrainians who've had all their stuff now blown up or they've left the country, or they've had loved ones killed, how would you think if they had Putin come into their church? A little different. That's what Paul was to the early church. God has saved Paul. What? He killed my dad! He took our business. God cannot save him. It's not right. It's not good. God comes to all of us. And that's the universal aspect of it. If God saved Paul, he can save Putin. If God saved Paul, he could save you. And so he puts it in this perspective and he says this is the unconditional aspect of it. It's the unimaginable patience of a God who loves us. Unimaginable. And so God turns a religious murderer into the prototype follower of Jesus Christ. And he has that opportunity. Listen, the only way that Paul can respond, listen to this, is by praising He praises God for the gospel. He can't help it. It's a response. It's automatic. It's it's at the very core. And so what he does is he has this doxological response, which means that he begins to worship. So as he reflects and as he meditates on the gospel, he begins to worship. Listen, one of my professors, and I think he'd get this right, he said, the gospel is that thing which a baby can wade and an elephant can swim. 
Because what he's talking about is we will never get outside of the facets of the gospel message. How amazing is grace? And it's new all the time. And so again, what happens, I think, a lot of times is the longer we go into Christianity, we start thinking we're getting better. Well, so I, I don't cuss anymore. I don't drink as much, or at least I say I don't get drunk, right? I don't throw my dog's little things into other people's yards. I'm getting better. And so what happens is if we begin to think we're getting better, then somehow we, Jesus gets less and less in our life. Paul says it's just the opposite. The more that I look at Jesus, the more I see I don't measure up. And the more I see I don't measure up, Jesus has got to get bigger. Because again, it's not just that I don't cuss anymore. It's just not that I don't do things with my dog's um, patties or whatever. How do I treat my wife? I know better. How do I treat my children? How do I treat my church? Uh, I'm tired today. But pastor, I'm dying at the hospital. Call Coleman. I say that tongue in cheek. But but there are times where it's just like, God, can they please, can my members please have normal business hours? Tired. God goes, do you understand the privilege and the honor it is when they call you at 2 o'clock in the morning? Or they ask for you to be the one to wipe their, their lips get so dry and you're the last one to hold the, the little sponge and to wet their mouth because they're in their last days. Do you understand the privilege and honor that you get to love one another? And when we begin to see that, we begin to praise because it just begins to start overflowing can't stop it and as we begin to praise it says that we begin to honor and glorify him now these are sometimes used interchangeable but they're really not there is a difference and so if we come to give glory and honor if we're honoring someone we esteem them as glorious so it's the value that we place upon them it's what happens in revelation chapter four remember where they're the The living creatures are around the throne of Jesus and they're crying out and they're crying out all the time, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the earth is full of his glory. And it says that the 24 elders, they get up and then they bow down before God and they throw their crowns before him. They're honoring him. They're esteeming him. And so Paul says that is how we should honor our living God. To give him all honor that he is rightfully due. But we also give to him glory. And that's where we find intrinsic worth within the person. So I want you to get this picture. You are a mirror. You're a reflection of Jesus. And so when we reflect clearly, then we reflect the characters and the deeds of God. And people see Jesus and not us. And so we have this doxological response, but then he, he finishes in the doxology with our understanding that our, it's our God who saves. And he begins by talking about the attributes. And he says, because we know that he is the king, and he is the most awesome and powerful king in the whole universe. And I hope you understand that and believe that. That God, by the very words of creation, spoke planets into being. unthinkable 
No other king comes close. And so not only is this king so powerful and so awesome outside of our understanding, but he's also the king who, listen, who came through the gates of the city of Jerusalem and also brought in the ark into the temple. He brings the gospel. He saves. He gives. And we respond in praise and glory and honor. And he gives us a few more attributes. He says he's immortal. He's eternal. He's the only being that's from eternity to eternity. Everybody else is created. Everyone. So we go to an eternal God who's invisible, who's not seen, will never be seen by immortal eyes because he's in that approachable light until that day when we're in heaven and we get to see him for who he is. Don't you long for that day? The day where you are in his presence and you see him for who he truly is. And he says the last thing, he's our only God. This is the God who controls galaxies to subatomic particles. And he is the fountain of all wisdom and power and glory and honor and love. And so Paul looks at Timothy And he wants Timothy and he wants us to understand beyond a shadow of a doubt, God came to save sinners. God came. And Jesus Christ has saved sinners like you and like me. And if we get it, we'd probably say with Paul, and I am the foremost of sinners in the world. And if he can save me, he can save you. So find hope in the ministry of the gospel and respond and come and praise our Lord Jesus Christ like we do today. Amen? You are the missionary. Live a life that people will see, but tell the story that no one else knows except maybe by you. Go and be the church and see how God moves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, what an incredible gift that you allow us to be a part of building your kingdom. And Father, we know that you don't need us, but you want us, and you equip us, and you change our hate for the people that are around us into a heart of love and care and mercy. And so, Father, call us to be the church, the church who lives out the gospel message. And as people see us in the reflection of who you are, may you draw them to yourself so that they too might come and worship you and praise you as their Lord and Savior, but then send them out into the world. So, Father, we do pray the big prayers. Save Putin. Save our leaders. Lord, it's not beyond your control. It's not beyond your power. So help our unbelief. But more than anything, Lord, allow us to bow our knees in submission and praise to you because you truly are the King of kings 
and the Lord of lords, and you are rightfully to be praised. And so we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.